0: Are you glad to be in God's house? Come on, do you like who you are sitting next to? If you don't, there is time. You can change your seat, you can change your seat. i tell you, I, uh, I don't say things just to say things. As soon as worship started today, I just sensed the presence of God in this place in such an incredible way. I don't know what you came in with today, but how many know you better raise your expectation up. This is not going to be church as usual today. God has something special in store for you. Come on, if you believe that thing, give him some praise in here. I'm telling you, I felt it. Just as soon as we started singing that opening song, your presence is an open door. Woo! I felt it. But but I also felt need to like give somebody clarification. And this goes in line with even the word that was shared. His presence is an open door, but it's almost like an open, automatic sliding door. They should have put that in the song, but it probably wouldn't have flowed. Your presence is an automatic sliding door. Cause just doesn't work. <laughs> But you know how you can look at an automatic sliding door and from a distance it looks like it's closed? From a distance you would think you have no access to that store but how many know if you just keep taking a step keep taking a step keep taking a step keep taking a step sooner or later you're gonna hit the sensor and the thing that looked like it was closed to you from a distance come on that thing will open up I came to tell somebody that if you'll draw close to God today he will draw close to you you just got to take a step and reach out into what he has in store for you can you tell I feel like preaching today um, it is an honor, an absolute honor and a privilege uh, to say the least, to be back at gr first. I've been coming here for years and I truly am a chocolate son of the house. You need to know that you need to know that I've been come to the church since I was 20 years old and I've um, had the privilege of knowing Pastor Sam and Brenda for years, for years and uh, you need to know um, how much I love your pastors. Um, uh, To say that I love them is an understatement. You are blessed not just with good pastors, but they are good people. They're good people. And uh, I think we all never take the gift God has given us for granted. Come on, sometimes you have to walk with people for years to really see, and I'm telling you, I've walked with them for years, and you're blessed with the most integrous, genuine, Christ-following leaders on the planet. And I want them to know, because I know they're watching, how much their church family loves them, how much I love you. Pastor Sam, brother, still with you, praying for you, covering you. We got your back. GR First, you could do better than that. Come on, let them know how much we're thankful. Thankful for their hearts and for their leadership. Amen. And I'm excited to preach the word today. I actually want to jump straight into this word. And if y'all feel like hearing it like I feel like preaching it, something's going to happen. Uh, Go with me to 2 Kings today. 2 Kings chapter 5. And I'm going to look at verses 1 through 4. And then we'll jump down to verse 9. And read down to verse number 14, 2 Kings chapter 5. And we'll start at verse number 1. While you're looking for it, um, how many of you have never heard me preach before? Can I see your hand if you never heard me preach before? Okay, quite a few of you. Quick disclaimer, uh, I am a hollaback preacher, okay? I say it all the time. All that means is for the next six and a half hours <laughs> that we are going to share here together, Uh, It is imperative that you don't just sit back and just look at me like this is a library. No, this is a sanctuary. Um, If you're feeling anything I'm saying, say amen, say preach that, say, mm, that was good. Even if it wasn't good, say, mm, that was good. You'll make me think it's good and it'll get better, okay? So, (laughs) 2 Kings chapter five, and we'll start at verse number one. My wife, Taylor, she sends her love to you. Let's look at what it says. It says, now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him. Of his leprosy. Now Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. Verse 9 So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I'm laughing because I know how many times those two words have gotten me in trouble. (laughs) I thought, am I the only one? Have you ever gotten in trouble, not based off of what happened, but off of what you thought? (laughs) A preconceived notion of how a certain situation was gonna go, I thought you were coming to help me, you're coming to betray me. (laughs) I I thought you were about to propose, you're breaking up with me, come on, has anybody been messed up? with a I thought sometimes the way you think a situation is gonna go can mess up how it goes he said I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy are not a bana and Farpar and the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed so he turned and went off in a rage Verse 13, Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you to wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. His flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Can you say amen and hear that? who is so good. It's so good. But I really want to turn your attention to verse number 12, because when Naaman gets the prescription for his healing, the Bible says that he turned and went off in a rage. He gets the prescription of the thing that's going to give him the miracle that he wants, and his reaction is to turn, and he went off in a rage. Hmm. I'm going to preach to you today using this as a title, The Cost of going off. The cost of going off. Now, I do have to say this message is not for everybody. If you have never been tempted to go off, or you've never gone off, and you're just nice all the time, and you smile all the time, and you floated in here, and you had manna for breakfast, and you just always pray for your enemies and bless them that curse you, this message is not for you. But if you have ever had somebody say something to you that made your heart palpitate, that made your right eye twitch, that made your nose start to flare. If you have ever had somebody driving so crazy in front of you that you sped up just to look at them at the stoplight. If you have ever responded to an email or a text message in all capital letters, this message (laughs) Is for you. I want to talk about the cost whew, of going off. It's gonna be rough today. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray a long prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Speak today. Amen. Amen. The cost of going off. Are there any parents in the house today? Hmm. All the parents. Would you make some noise real quick? All the parents. <laughs> Are there any single people in the house today? Single and you want to be married? All the single people make some noise real quick, right? See how they had a little bit more enthusiasm? <laughs> the reason that there was a higher decibel with the single people and not the parents is because of one thing, exhaustion. Exhausted, ladies and gentlemen. How I mean, you know, parenting is a daunting task. It is a difficult task. It is a challenging task. The reason I really wanted to see all the parents in the room is because I need to see where my support group is. Yes, there is absolutely nothing, I believe, as challenging as raising little humans who become teenage humans and older humans. People ask me all the time, we're church planners. They're like, oh, isn't it stressful building the church? I said, no, God said he'll build his church. I'm not worried about that church, but these kids... I need all the help <laughs> that I can get. I'm telling you, it is not easy being a parent. And you're saying, well, how do you know? Let me show you my crew. Can I show you the Madhu crew? I have to give updates. I feel like I'm at family reunion. That's the Madu crew. There they are right there. Yes, that is seven, five, and four. Seven, five, and four. Woo! That's not just their ages. Those are the times that they wake up throughout the night. <laughs> Every single night. Oh, parenting is no joke. And there's nothing, to be honest, that I feel so unqualified for as a parent. Like, I just don't feel like I have the cognitive aptitude for this. I feel like that there should have been, like, I'm not, I'm not questioning you, God, but I'm just saying that there should have been, like, some aptitude test. Like, call it PAT, Parent Aptitude Test, that lets you know whether you have what it takes for this. And you just fill out some questions, at least a thousand questions, and then afterwards you get your results, and they tell you, oh, no, you can get a parakeet, but not a kid. Just... Something. You you can search the scriptures to try to find some help and that don't really help you either because maybe Mary and Joseph lost Jesus (laughs) for three whole days. They lost him. It's no joke so if you're gonna be a parent you gotta pray. You gotta call on God and I think you also ought to get some resources. There's a book that my wife and I we read recently and uh, the, the title of the book is Parenting from the Inside Out. Parenting from the Inside Out. If you don't want to read the book, I'll give you the Wikipedia version. Um, The book basically says this, that parenting can and will trigger the unprocessed emotions of your childhood. That parenthood can and will trigger the unprocessed emotions of your childhood. So the book postulates that if you want to be a healthy parent, you've got to deal with the kid. That's inside of you that never got healing, and this is what I'm reading before I drop my son to kindergarten for the first day of school. <laughs> and I drop him off, I never forget, and I'm walking around the classroom, and I saw something that I've never seen in a classroom before. I saw this little whiteboard in a corner with a cushion chair and a whole lot of markers. And I asked his teacher, I said, "What is that corner right there?" And the teacher said, "That is the calm down corner." I said, excuse me? <laughs> she said, yeah, that's the calm down corner. She said, they're still learning, their brains are still developing. She said, so and anytime their emotions get out of control, sometimes I allow them to go to the calm down corner and they can take a marker and they can color on the whiteboard what they're processing because it is my job to help them process those emotions. So that is the calm down corner. And as soon as she finished saying that, I said, I need a calm down corner. <laughs> don't laugh at me. You need a calm down corner. As a matter of fact, I think our world that's been dealing with a pandemic since 2020, we all need a calm down corner because something is happening in our society where it seems like people's anger has gotten out of control. It's interesting, I was looking at an article even before I came here. The article, I want you to show show it to you. It says, adults are throwing tantrums in restaurants, planes, and at home. Blame the pandemic. Social scientists are saying that we are now more irritable than ever because of all we have been through since 2020. So now restaurants and people in the customer service industry are now having to have extra security because people are losing their mind and they're going So I thought it was incumbent upon me to talk to you today. Uh, How's your anger? How's your anger? Here's what I love about this message today is that nobody can bypass this message today. Oh, this message is for everybody. Yes, even those of you watching online, this is for you because anger is a universal emotion. Oh, yes, anger is a universal emotion. When it comes to anger, the question is not, if you're going to get angry, the question is when you get angry, what are you going to do when you go off? Oh, you cannot sleep on this message today. This is for you. We all in some way, shape, or form go off. As a matter of fact, you came in the world angry. Hello, not a single baby came into the earth, calm, poised, and collected, saying, I'm not going to yell. I just really would like some milk. No, you came in. Ah! Ah, kicking and screaming and going off. Ooh, I wanna to know today. What do you do? I really wanna know. What do you do when you get angry? What do you do? Do you kick? Do you yell? Do you scream? Do you punch a hole in the wall? Oh, do you leave? Are you a stormtrooper. you know those people they just just leave oh the shelter in place orders messed up all the stormtroopers because you had nowhere to escape whenever you got angry what do you do what do you do when you go off do you explode do you yell at the top of your lungs I'm talking to all of you eruptors Yes, yes, you eruptors, you make me laugh. Oh, because you are the ones, you are the incredible Hulk. You turn green, steam comes off of your forehead. When you are angry, we all know about it. The whole office knows when you get angry, you eruptors are funny to me, because you go off and you explode and you throw the stapler, and then you finally calm down and you're like, did I just do that? <laughs> did, I'm sorry, Did I, and you look so stupid, and you do it. Because hear me, anger assaults your wisdom. It does. The, the book of Proverbs is replete with verses that talk about how anger is not for the wise. I love what it says in Proverbs. I believe it's verse number 14. It says, people with understanding control their anger. A hot temper shows great foolishness. Oh, you eruptors. us. Ah, you go off and I laugh at you eruptors, And I think y'all are crazy because I'm not an eruptor. No, I am what you call a stuffer. And as stuffers, we are different than those eruptors. We laugh at the eruptors because stuffers, we don't kick, we don't yell, we don't scream. And whenever you ask us, are we mad, we will look at you and say, no, I'm fine. It's okay. It happens. No, I'm not angry. Everyone makes mistakes and all while we're saying we're not angry we are inwardly rehearsing and ruminating over every single thing that you did we are pushing it down into the basement of our soul until it becomes a cantankerous cesspool of bitterness and all the while you're asking us are you mad no i'm not upset oh and stuffers are probably worse than eruptors because sometimes stuffers become eruptors. Stuffers don't even realize that you keep stuffing down all that anger and it is affecting your physical health. Oh yeah, the medical community will tell you that anger more than grief, more than any other emotion will affect your body. Anger will give you a heart attack. Anger will raise your blood pressure. Hear me, anger will aid you. Oh, yeah, you can forget it's exfoliating. Just keep getting angry and watch what it does to your face. What, what are we going to do? What are we going to do with anger? So you got eruptors and you got stuffers. How do I process my anger? How do I process? If it's inevitable and I can't erupt and I can't stuff, then what am I supposed to do with it? I'm so glad you asked. You have to manage it, steward it. Anger is like having a toddler in the car. How many know you don't want that toddler behind the steering wheel driving, Eruptors. By the same token, you don't wanna put that toddler in the trunk, stuffers. <laughs> What you want to do is have that toddler in a car seat with the seatbelt and periodically check in your rearview mirror to make sure it is in its proper place. That is how anger must be dealt with. Because hear me, anger will stop God from doing what he wants to do in your life. Anger will ruin your relationships. Anger just like Moses will stop you from getting into your promise. Moses didn't get into the promised land. He saw a land he never walked into. Why? Because anger made him hit a rock instead of speak to a rock. And he missed out on his promise because of anger. I love what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul, in one little verse of Scripture, in brevity, actually gives us the biblical worldview of anger. Because I don't want you to walk away from this message today and go, I just can't never get angry again. No, 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 no. Anger has to be used in a proper way. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. He says, be angry. Be angry. Paul's right there. Hallelujah. I can get angry. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Paul is not calling for the removal of anger. He's saying, in your anger, do not sin. So that means God says there is a level of anger that is actually healthy, that is actually necessary. In fact, I often tell people, if you're looking for blues clues for your purpose, you need to look at what breaks your heart, or sometimes you need to look at the thing that makes you angry. You need to look at the thing in culture that you say, this is not supposed to be this way. How many you know as believers who've been called to be light in the midst of darkness, Darkness, there ought to be some things that make us angry. How I many you know poverty ought to make us angry? People who don't have clean water it ought to make us angry. Injustice ought to make us angry, and not angry for anger's sake, but angry enough to get up and do something about it, and say, God, you've called us the church to do something for such a time as this. Oh, God says, don't put all your anger away. There is a level of anger that is healthy. Don't you remember your Savior? He got angry. Don't you let the movies fool you. He didn't have blonde hair, blue eyes, walking around, floating and glowing, and saying, oh, all the time. No. Remember one time he went into a temple, and he turned over the temple courts, and he started driving people out. Why? Because they were stopping people from worshiping him, and because he is passionate about people worshiping him, he drove Without all the money changers, anger is necessary. There is a healthy level of anger that will actually make you make change in the world. But the problem is when your anger is unchecked. I want to know, I want to know today, for real, we're just talking. What makes you go off? What do you get angry about? Is Is it people that drive too slow in front of you? That make you angry? When the Cowboys or your favorite sports team loses, what makes you angry? Now for real. Is it having to put up the Christmas lights? Some of y'all still have your Christmas lights and your Christmas tree up. What, what makes you get angry? Is it, is it trying to find the plug behind the dresser and you can't plug it in? Is that what makes you angry? Is it when you get a brand new laptop and you're trying to put in the USB? It only goes in one or two ways, but it takes you 25 tries to actually get it in. What makes you angry? Is it when you have a brand new outfit and you are going to the bathroom to check your outfit and you lean over? on the counter, you walk away, and now you got a big old line across your shirt that you got to explain. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just throwing some things out there. Traffic. See, I'm being funny, but I'm actually showing you how ubiquitous anger is, but also how unique anger is. What makes you go off is not what makes me go off. And what makes her go off is not what makes her go off. So that's why we understand, hear me, that anger is a secondary emotion. Hmm. To those of you who are trying to say, it's their fault. They made me go off. Oh, no, no, no. Don't put the power of your emotions in their hands. Anger is a secondary emotion. So whenever somebody is going off, this ought to actually give you grace for people. Ooh, whenever somebody's going off on you, understand that anger is a secondary emotion. So sometimes the people that are going off, it has nothing to do with what is happening. It's having to do with something else. It ought to make you have grace and say, okay, I know that was not about me. There's something else going on because anger is a secondary emotion. So whenever you see anger, don't look at it. Look under it. I'm giving you good stuff today. Look under it. It's a secondary emotion, which brings me to my text today. Because I am confused by what we read in 2 Kings chapter 5. Because Naaman has a leprosy. It is a skin disease that is so detrimental, that is so degenerative, that it starts with a spot, spreads over your body, and you begin to lose limbs. You literally fall apart. There was no cure for this disease. It was the epitome of isolation. This disease had social ramifications. Whenever you had it, you were isolated from your family, from everyone that you loved. Anytime somebody came in close proximity to you, you had to scream, unclean, unclean. This is the disease that Naaman has. And the prophet says, go splish splash, take a bath, Sesame Street. Seven times and you're gonna be healed. And Naaman says, what? And turns off and goes in a rage. What? Since when does a prescription make you mad? No, come on, contextualize it, okay? Can you imagine just going to the doctor's office, having a cold. They say, oh, no problem, you got a little cold. Go to the doctor's, go to the front desk and get your prescription and just take it two times a week. What? Two times a week, I cannot believe. What? (laughs) Naaman, what is going on? (laughs) Don't you want to be healed? Don't look at it. Look under it. And I think the reason the Naaman is going off, we actually get the clue in the first verse of Scripture, 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. It says, now Naaman was commander of the king of Aram. He was a great man, highly regarded, and a valiant soldier. Oh, Naaman had status. Naaman was not a regular man. He was a great man. Naaman was the one that people looked up to. Naaman had all kinds of followers on Instagram and Facebook. Naaman is on the cover of every Wheaties box with his sword. Naaman is the one that all the men wanted to be and all the women wanted. Naaman was a great man. He had status. It's interesting looking at our culture today. I'm finding that now more than ever, people are obsessed with status. Oh, yeah. Everybody wants to be the somebody or beat the somebody or be connected to the somebody. Oh, we are obsessed with status We are obsessed with our followers. We're obsessed with our post and how many likes it got and how many responses it got Oh, people are obsessed with status today. You don't believe me? Ask a little kid Ask a little kid ask them what they want to be when they grow up. There used to be a time in our world. They tell you, ah, a fireman. I want to be a teacher. Ask a kid today famous No, they just want to be famous. Am I right about it, Pastor? They want to be famous. That's why they're stacking crates all up and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Did you see my TikTok? I don't care what it takes for me to be known, for me to have recognition. People are obsessed with status. If I could just be this person, if I could just be a Naaman, oh, what it would feel like. But Naaman came into the harsh reality. Hear me, that every person has to understand. It's my first point. That status doesn't stop suffering status does not stop suffering and somewhere we have believed the lie the myth that if i just got that raise on my job if i just got that house, or if I just had this much money, or if I just had this car, I wouldn't go through anything. Maybe I wouldn't have the pain that I'm feeling on the inside. But I came to tell somebody today that status does not stop suffering. You can get the house, you can get the job, you can get the raise, but that does not give you a pass from suffering. Suffering is a part of life. And yet we bought into this lie, this myth, that if I could just get there, then I won't have any problems. Oh, Naaman was there, and he realized that status doesn't stop suffering. And yet many of us, we keep pushing the button on the elevator, trying to get to the penthouse suite, because we think all the people in the penthouse suite are happy. Not realizing that a lot of them are looking at the balcony every single day, contemplating, jumping off, because they can't understand, how do I have everything, but I still feel so empty? Status does not stop suffering. Naaman, the mighty warrior, one day comes home from battle. I can see it in my mind. He comes home from battle. He takes off his armor. You know how you do when you're in the house and nobody's there, and you're just looking in the mirror, and there he is. He's flexing. Who's the man? man. Who's the man? Naaman. man. You know how you do when it's just you by yourself. <laughs> and he's looking in the mirror and all of a sudden he looks at a spot in his back and he realizes that this is not a normal blemish. He's got leprosy. And I think you probably stood in that bathroom and spent the next 15 minutes or maybe even an hour trying to figure out how was I just so powerful on the battlefield? And now I've got a disease of leprosy. You understand that biblically, leprosy is a metaphor for sin. Because every single one of us have a spot. I don't care who you are. All of us have been affected by this disease, sin, that spreads and affects your spirit. He has a spot. And I can see Naaman, the valiant soldier in the fetal position, crying. Because he doesn't understand, how could I be so good on the battlefield, and now I've got an issue. That's what somebody in here is saying today. Isn't it amazing how you can be so good in the boardroom, but not good at home? And everybody in the boardroom looks up to you, but your family doesn't. It's because all of us have a spot. And I think Naaman starts weeping, and I think his wife sees him weeping. And she sees the spot that is leprosy. And perhaps she tells him, honey, it's okay. It's okay. It's not spread yet. Just put on your armor. Put on your armor. Nobody has to know about it. Just keep covering it. Because that's what humans do. Whenever we have issues, we love to cover them up. We love to cover them up with our degrees. We cover it up with fake smiles. We don't want anybody to know what's really going on. Status doesn't stop suffering. And I think they tried to keep the leprosy in the house, but I also think that the walls in Naaman's house were thin. Because over the walls in the house, the servant girl had to have heard what he was facing. Because look at what this servant girl says to Naaman's wife. She says, I don't want to interrupt you, my mistress, but I'm telling you, if Naaman would just go see the prophet in Samaria, he would be healed. Oh, isn't that interesting that this servant girl, the maid, started the miracle. Whenever I used to get into it on the playground, my mom would always ask, who started it? You gotta look at this text and say, who started this miracle? Do you know who started this miracle? It was the servant girl, the Israel servant girl. She's the one that started, the maid started the miracle. She's the one that initiated the whole plan for Naaman to go see Elisha. She said, I'm telling you, I know the God of Israel, and I know that this God is the one who can heal, he can set free, he can deliver. She knew about the power of Yahweh, the one who split Red Seas, the one who could do anything she said i'm telling you if you go see him you will be healed oh the second thing i want to give you today is that servants always start the miracles servant, always start the miracles. If you want to start seeing the miraculous in your life, then start serving. See, we're always looking for miracles in high places, but rarely do miracles start in high places. Miracles start in lowly places. Servants always start the miracles. Naaman wouldn't even have known to go to Elisha if this servant girl, if this maid who was only brought in to mop the floor hadn't said, I'm telling you, if you will go see that prophet that has power, that has anointing, you will be healed. Servants always start the miracles. You want to start seeing miracles in your life? Start serving. Start serving. I'm so thankful that God always allows servants to initiate the miracles. This is a principle that cannot be violated. This is why God could not redeem us from the lofty pinnacle of heaven. You know why? Because servants always start the miracles. God says, if I'm ever gonna redeem humanity, I cannot be up here in heaven, I have to come down. He came down through 42 generations and he put on human skin and he took the place of a servant and your savior and my savior was not too high to wash feet. Come on, we need a church that will serve again. We need a revival of humility again. And that's when we'll start seeing the supernatural. (laughs) Pride is what's killing the church. Pride is what's killing leadership. Servants always start the miracles. This servant girl started the miracle. Here's how I know Naaman was in big trouble because he listened to her. Woo! I'm telling you, there's something about suffering that'll make you listen to people you dismiss. That's why you have to be careful how you treat people. I'm telling you, life will put you in a situation where people you turned up your nose at, you'll actually look and say, I need some help. Please help me. I got a situation I don't know what to do that my money can't fix. Servants always start the miracles. She said, I'm telling you, if you go see the prophet, you'll be healed. I know Naaman was in trouble because he listened. So Naaman, he actually doesn't go to Elisha first. He actually first goes to the king of Israel and he brings all the gold and all these clothes. Cause you know, he's like, well, I'll get to Elisha first, but let me first come with an official letter from the king and let me see if I can buy my healing. Can you see him with his gold Bentley chariot? Six horsepower. all his regalia. And he goes to the king of Israel. And I love it because it comes to the king of Israel with an official letter and says, please, heal me of this leprosy. And the king of Israel whoosh, rips his robes It says, oh! Am I God? I didn't read this part. I'm just giving it to you, but it's in the text. She said, am I God? What do what you expect me to do? I can't heal leprosy. I love it because the king of Israel starts having a panic attack at the thought of trying to heal leprosy. But when Elisha got the same news, Elisha said, hey, bring Naaman to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. Ooh, I love it. I love it because the king had the position, but Elisha had the power. The king of Israel had the title, but Elisha had the authority. See, don't ever seek after position. You need to seek from the power that comes from God. Don't ever seek for a title. Ask God to give you some authority, and you'll see things happen in your life. I love that what the king of Israel called a catastrophe. Elisha said, no, this is an opportunity for God to show himself strong and mighty. I'm almost done. And so... He leaves the king of Israel and he goes to Elisha's house. Can you see him? Same gold chariot, all his regalia, (laughs) going to the prophet Elisha's house. you know Elisha lived in the hood. (laughs) So here is this gold (laughs) Bentley chariot (laughs) coming into the hood. And all the people are looking like, what is Naaman doing in this part of town? (laughs) And he comes all the way up to the prophet Elisha's house. I can see it because Elisha has a servant and the servant looks out the window and says, Ah! ah! Elijah! You're not gonna believe it! He's like, what? Calm down. He's like, no! David is here! He's in a Bentley chair with Elisha! You're not gonna believe it! Oh my goodness. He looks better in person than he did on the Wheaties box. I cannot believe this. Uh, This servant is having a fangirl moment. He's like, you're not gonna believe it. He's here, he's here. And I can see Elisha so undisturbed, just not even disturbed by it. He's like, you need to calm down. Because you can't even see behind all that armor. He's falling apart. Stop being impressed with what people show you on the surface. Stop being impressed with what people are posting. It's like, you can't even see behind all of that armor, he's falling apart inside. And I can see the servant of Elisha going, well, well, he's outside. What what are we going to do? Are you going to go see him? And Elisha's like, no, you are. Huh? He said, yeah, um, go tell him that if he'll wash in the Jordan seven times, he'll be healed. And the servant is like, what? Elisha, aren't you going to go see him? And I can see it. Elisha's like, no, I'm actually watching Law and Order. But you just go tell him. Just go tell him. If he washes in the Jordan seven times, he'll be healed. So here goes the servant to see his hero, Naaman. I can see Elisha. And don't ask for a picture. I wasn't. Kids, up to Naaman. Naaman who's still on his high horse. He's like, oh, hey, Mr. Naaman, sir. Beautiful chariot. Um, hey, I have a message from Elisha. And whew, don't kill the messenger. He told me, to tell you, uh, if you go wash seven times in the Jordan, you'll be cleansed. And Naaman's like, well, is he not going to come see me? Well, he's busy praying. Um, he's in deep intercession, but Naaman can look through the window. He's watching Law and Order. Well, that's what he does before he prays. Um, look, he just told me to tell you. To just go wash seven times in the Jordan. And Naaman's rage begins. I thought. He would at least come and see me and wave his hand over the spot. I thought the rage is rising. You know why? Because he is experiencing something he was not expecting. Many of us get mad at other people. Can we go there? Many of us are mad at God. Because we are experiencing something that we were not expecting because you were expecting God to do it a certain way, and he didn't. And now, just like Naaman, the rage has filled your heart, not because of what's happening, but because of what you thought. It's amazing how our thoughts of how we think it should go can become idols in our lives. And it's often at the space where what you are experiencing is not lining up with what you expected, that God can actually do the real miracle in your life, that God can actually prove that he is really God. He's really the one that is in control in your life. And that's where you've got to trust him. (laughs) Who am I preaching to today? I'm talking to somebody who's so filled with anger and rage. And maybe you've walked away from God and you've walked away from church. Why? Because you thought It was going to go a certain way, and it didn't. Naaman is angry because of what he thought. He can already feel the rejection that is going to come because of his leprosy. He cannot believe that Elisha would not at least give him the courtesy of coming to see him. He can feel the isolation that is pending because of his leprosy. Bible says that he turned and he went off in a rage. I'm going to ask the worship team to join me, but I'm telling you, this is a word from God for somebody who's about to go off like Naaman. And God just sent me from Dallas, Texas to Grand Rapids to tell you, please don't go off please don't go off if you go off you're gonna miss out on the miracle that your heart has been longing for God sent me to tell somebody I know you're upset because what you're experiencing didn't line up with your expectation but can you still trust God even when it didn't play out the way you wanted it to don't go off don't go off Naaman was about to miss his miracle he went off Until this servant speaks up. This is the second servant. Because servants always start the miracles. Who? thank God for this servant who said, Naaman, if the prophet had asked you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? Can't you just go wash? I love this servant because this servant is actually showing us how grace works in our lives. See, many of us don't understand the power of how grace works. Many of us are just like Naaman. Remember, he came with all kinds of gold and all kinds of clothes because he thought he could buy. He thought he could purchase his healing. But how many know you cannot buy the gift of grace? If Naaman was given the task of defeating an army to get his healing, he would have done it. If Naaman was asked to scale a wall or a mountain or to do some mighty work where he would have gotten some of the credit, he would have done it. But he couldn't do something so simple as going to wash in the Jordan because it seemed too easy. It seemed too elementary. It seemed like it didn't make sense. But can I tell you, grace does not make sense. You cannot earn grace from God. You cannot buy salvation. You just have to be obedient and and do what God tells you to do. (laughs) How many of us are like Naaman? We're trying to buy the free gift of salvation. We're trying to buy healing. Some of us are trying to do it through our works and saying, God, I did this, I did this, I did this. I read the Bible, I came to church, now you perform. That's not relationship, that's religion. Religion says, God, I've performed, now you perform. Religion says, God, I did my part, now you do your part the way that I thought. And Naaman was about to miss out on the greatest miracle of his life. But thank God for this servant who spoke up and said, Naaman, if he had asked you to do something great, you would have done it. Why can't you do something so simple? Hear me. Status does not stop suffering. Servants always start the miracles. The third thing I want you to get from this text is what Naaman had to get, which is the fact that simple obedience is strength. Simple obedience. So many of us are saying, God, I'll do the big thing not calling you to do the big thing he's calling you to do the simple thing and sometimes the simple thing is the hardest thing look at Naaman the one who would fight 50 people with one sword was having the hardest time going down to a river to splish splash I was taking a bath because pride will tell you no I can't but he had to find that his strength was not in his sword His strength was in his simple obedience. Thank God for this servant that spoke up. Because Naaman goes down to the Jordan River. (laughs) I love it. He had objections all the way to the river. Aren't there other rivers I could wash in? This is such a dirty river. You know how you do whenever God starts saying, but no, but God, I can't forgive them. don't, Don't you remember what they did? God, I still have the text message. All the excuses we make, it'll stop us from getting our healing. He goes down to the Jordan. He has to take off all that armor that was covering up his leprosy. Because God cannot heal what you continually cover. You have to expose for the healing to come forth. I can see him taking off the armor. I can see everybody looking, is that Naaman? Is that, wow, is that Naaman? skin was that bad. But sometimes you got to be willing to go after your healing more than you care about the opinions of other people and what they're going to say. You got to be more committed to your wholeness than their opinion, than their whispers. (laughs) Naaman had to shut his ears to the whispers of the crowd who couldn't believe that this mighty warrior is in the Jordan River with leprosy. And he goes down he has to dip seven times. Woo. I mean, no, you can't dip in shallow water. He had to go deep into the Jordan. Some of you, God is saying, the thing I want to do in your life is going to require you to go deeper. You've been in shallow waters too long. He's calling you into a deeper relationship with him. And he gets in that water and he dips the first time. And I think he did what we do. As soon as he dipped, he looked. <laughs> and nothing changed. Isn't that what we do? Like, all right, God, some of you did it today. All right, I came to church, now can I get the raise? I I, I came to church, now will you heal my child? I I, I came to church, now can I get the financial breakthrough? We, We immediately check, he did what and nothing Happened. He dips the second time and nothing happened. He dipped the third time and nothing seemed to change. He dips the fourth time and nothing happened. I think the fourth time he was about to turn away and say, this is ridiculous. Why did I even listen to this prophet? But I came to tell somebody, don't you give up until you do everything that God has called you to do. It doesn't matter if you don't see the manifestation of it. You got to do what God told you told you to do. He dips the fifth time and still no change. He dipped the sixth time and still nothing changed. And maybe on the sixth time, he still felt like this is ridiculous. This makes no sense. But hear me, faith doesn't make sense. Sometimes obedience doesn't make sense. But when he dipped that seventh time, the Bible says that when he got up, his skin was completely restored. you got to obey him. Oh, somebody give God the best praise that you got in this place today. If you're thankful that everything that God has told you to do, if you will obey him and do it, restoration will come, healing will come, the miracle will come. I don't know who this is for, I remain standing. I don't know what dip you're on. Oh, but don't you walk away. Don't you go off. What if Naaman would've quit on the fifth dip? What if he would've quit on the sixth? What if he would've allowed his pride and his anger to not even go down to Elisha? What if he wouldn't have listened to the servant who said, Come on, Naaman. If it was a great thing, you would have done it. He would have missed out on the greatest miracle. And I came to tell somebody, you're going to miss out on the greatest miracle of your life if you keep the anger, if you keep the rage. Hear me, I'm talking to some marriage, some marriage that is on shaky ground right now. You are about to lose the love of your life because you want to keep the pride you want to keep the anger because you will not forgive and I'm asking you is that worth it yeah you can go off oh but that is a cost you're really gonna lose a friend over what they posted on Facebook you gonna spend years not talking to a family member because of what they said during the election because of your anger and your pride sure you can go off but i'm telling you there's a cost there's a cost you're going to miss out on the greatest miracle of your life if you hold on to that anger and that bitterness and that rage naaman his skin was healed it's funny even after the healing takes an old dog a long time to learn new tricks he still tried to pay for it he's like let me give you something Elisha's like I'm good <laughs> can't pay for this but he did ask for some dirt from the earth this is a pagan Naaman is a pagan he says can I get some dirt from the earth so that when I'm in any other temple to a false god. I want dirt from the earth that I may put my knees on it and give honor to the God of Israel. (sighs) Look at the transformation. I wonder how many soldiers Naaman talked to and said, let me tell you about the God of Israel, how I had a skin disease that nobody could heal. I wonder how many soldiers were transformed by the healing of Naaman because his anger didn't get in the way of him receiving the miracle. Wait a minute, just real soft. Who started the miracle? The servant girl. The servant girl from Israel. The Bible says that it was the armies of Aram that raided Israel. That means this young girl was a maid in the house where most scholars would tell you because her parents were probably killed as soldiers came in and captured her, soldiers who would have been sent at the command of Naaman. This servant girl had every right. The night that she found out that Naaman had leprosy, she had every right to go, that's what you get. The God of Israel has given you punishment. punishment. Taking me away from my home. She had every right to look at Naaman and say, That's what you deserve. But she did it. She offered the remedy of healing to her enemy. I don't know of anybody who offers the remedy of healing to the enemies except for a Savior who hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and He did not hold our sins against us. Come on, somebody. If Jesus did not hold your sin and your offenses against you, how dare you think you have the right to hold sin and anger and bitterness against somebody else? I'm not saying what they did was right. I'm not saying it was okay. I am saying, are you gonna allow that anger and that bitterness to destroy your life and make you miss out on your healing? Don't go.